Society Podcast. This is Franz Bowen. This is Trav Weeks. Yes, sir. And with another installation of the Joe Society Podcast, uh, Reserve Edition. Ladies and gentlemen, we have just made history this week. We did our first ever digital reserve shop. And before we even go into what all of that is, I'm just going to throw it to Trav because we have a very special um, introduction to make. This person has actually been a team member for many years now, but you know, we had to make it official. We had to put the crown on it. So I'm gonna uh, throw it to Trav, you know what I'm saying? Facts. Thank you, uh, Franzito. But yeah, um, we did our first digital reserve. And if you guys know Dream Society, our essential service to the community, to our audiences, uh, not only just being an agency where we work with brands and do cultural marketing. Um, we create concepts that are designed to enrich and empower our communities. And one of our staple events that does this is our marketplace um, reserve. Where we bring in brands, small businesses to come together to sell their products, uh, make relationships, uh, meet potential investors and overall vibe network and, you know, spread that energy of camaraderie and um, keeping the dollars in the small business space so we all can support each other. That's very important and special to us. And we've been doing this, I think, since late 2017. Started off with 10 vendors um, at an a, a art gallery in, in, in Bushwick. Shout out to Faith. Um, and it's grew to where we partner with co-working spaces, restaurants, and, you know, due to COVID, we had to go virtual. So we had our first virtual one, and um, it was great. Um, we we the, the Although we did it, you know, digitally, the vibe of group economics and the vibe of uh, that uh, monetary and, 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 and spiritual support was there. So I feel good. And um, our brother, Aquaeus, who's, who's, Aquaeus is it's interesting because Aquaeus is passionately um, driven to inspire. Like it's naturally, he's just this way and you know, he's like, like Fran said, he's been a part of the team for, for quite some time now. He's a family member. He's a, he's a, he's a tribe member. He's a brother. And, um, what made it official for me really was, um, when we did our conference in Bermuda and Aquarius and his brother pulled up and the support, the energy was, was second to none. And, um, I always incredibly value that he's a, He's a special, special human being. Um, he's our family member. Um, he is dedicated to educating, inspiring, and, and fueling the culture and um, and the community and the tribe. And he's our official community manager. And um, yeah, I just want to you know lead it off to him. Let him let him say what he has to say. But um, I just want we wanted to make this formal introduction to our audience to the good brother Quayus Kelly. Um, show him love, hit him up on IG, shoot him with DMs. Um, he's a great person to have in your corner. He's a great person to, to know. We love and appreciate Aquaeus. And yeah, um, without further ado, Aquaeus Kelly. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that, Trap. Thank you for the introduction. Franz, family, thank you for the introduction. It's a pleasure to be on board officially. And I would say in August, it, it marks three years. I came on board to help with the podcast, writing, uh, behind the scenes work in August of 2017. I remember it like yesterday, right? Who introduced me to, to Natalia and Trav. And then we just went forward from there. So I would like to thank you guys for creating the community that you've created, first of all, and allowing me to contribute my talents and be a part of that. And it means a lot. It means a lot. What we're building means a lot. Driven society for me means a lot because it's more about just building a platform. It's literally about building a community and more importantly, like literally building a society, like driven society. So it's about more than us, right? It's a mission, it's a mission that's bigger than us. And that is what always keeps me going and keeps me motivated and driven literally and Trav I like what you said that I'm driven to inspire because when I think of it that's that's one of the best ways to sum sum up the work ethic just day to day 
um, Driven to Inspire. And when we go into the panel, you will see that this is a attribute that our panelists have as well. And be, before I, I close it out, I just want to give a shout out to my brother, Elisha Malik Kelly. And because yeah. as, as you mentioned, he was out in Bermuda with us and he's a very entertaining young I'm, guy. So. <laughs> oh, that guy, like three Hennessy's. <laughs> oh, when this is back, we got to go out for drinks with them. Yeah. Malik, yo. We have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So of course I have to give my brother a shout out because I know he'll be listening to this. So much love to the family. Thank you guys. Peace, Malik. So, you know, um, we actually opened the reserve with a really, really dynamic panel of uh, entrepreneurs. Um, Keenan Beasley, Keenan Williams, uh, uh, Tatiana Ilya, and uh, Pollyanna Reed, um, who were all uh, dynamic and you know um trailblazers in their respective fields uh so you're gonna hear this conversation uh that trav and i well mostly trav because i only had like really one question <laughs> we were behind time but it's all good um but definitely enjoy it glean what you can from it please hit us up at um you know at driven society on instagram and twitter uh, and let us know what you think. And we really hope that you'll be able to join us for the next reserve. It is, the world has changed, is changing. And, you know, we're going to change right along with it. You know, nothing, nothing stops. Everything keeps going because this is what we're here for. We're here for purpose-driven work. And, um, yeah. Yeah, anything else to add, Trav? Everything Franz said, man. I just really appreciate um, Brother Franz, Brother Aquaeus, Natalia, Tatiana, the team, the tribe. Um, and uh, we continue to push in this mission throughout, you know, this uh, new normal, they say, you know. Um, but um, our spirits are remaining positive that we will one day be able to, you know, get back in, um, in rooms together with uh, a lot of antibacterial masks on. But, you know, <laughs> we're definitely going to get out of this and I just want to send a uh, love and um, peace and positivity to everybody who's listening and continued, continued success and continued um, high level of, of mental frequency. And that's, that's pretty much it. Facts. So without further ado, enjoy this really dynamic conversation from German society. First of all, thank you guys for being a part of German society first one we've done this internationally we've done this um in bermuda we've done this at red rooster in harlem we've done this in brooklyn now we're doing it virtually so we have you guys is, is amazing you guys are the first panelists to be part of this event um and we want to jump right into it because right now the creative economy um has already been booming but right now people are leaning in on the creative economy more than they ever have right um there he is hey, my brother yeah, sorry about that <laughs> It's all good, no worries. People are leaning in on the creative economy. You are mute too, Keenan. People are leaning in on the creative eco economy for monetizing their creativity, starting new businesses. They're pretty much trying to level up right now, especially with the unemployment rate being so high. Um, you guys have successfully done this amongst a lot of mediums from having products, selling services, um, different verticals. And we want to go into that, go into the multifaceted space mindset of what an entrepreneur is and what a creator does, especially how you guys leverage content. So the first question I have for Keenan and Pollyanna, and, and you guys, please introduce yourselves before you answer. Um, being a multifaceted entrepreneur, how do you use content to drive your business forward, whether that be selling products or increase visibility? And I'll start with you, Pollyanna. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Pollyanna and I am a senior journalist at Forbes and Business Insider. I write about women in business. And so when I'm not reporting, I'm actually a celebrity ghostwriter. I help the leaders and doers who are really shaping the future turn their personal stories into brand assets. So 
uh, this question is very, very timely. Um, when we think about marketing, right, we think about our ability to connect with the end user, um, the end user being a real person with real problems that they hope that we can solve. And so I'm really fascinated with the psychology of human behavior and what drives people's buying decisions. Um, that being said, I'm sure you could predict, you know, storytelling and has increased my visibility tremendously. And um, not only does it, you know, humanize your brand and make your brand more uh, approachable, um, but and the thing is this, like if we know that, then I always wonder why more entrepreneurs don't actually like take this path, right? I think that where a lot of founders get lost is when they try to help an audience that they don't truly understand. And what I've learned about my audience is that like, you know, they don't really give a shit about, you know, a perfectly curated feed. You know, my audience has been with me since day one, since I dropped out of school, you know what I mean? Since I've had depressive episodes, since I've, you know, you know slept on airport floors, right? And so for me, the, the driving factor has really been just to connect with them and really show the work. Success has an equation, right? And when I've showed the work and showed them the evolution of my creative process, that's when I've had, well, that's when I've seen a ripple effect in my engagement. Hmm. Nice, nice. Um, Kenya, how about you as far as pushing your content to deliver more business opportunities, more services, even selling products? Which Kenya? Kenya Beasley. <laughs> oh, oh, my bad. I, look, I was defaulting to, 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 to Kenya Williams on that one. I wanted, I wanted to hear what he had to say. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, look, look, I guess on, for me, I think, Quarantine, you know, net net has been pretty good because what you have is a, a time period where the world kind of slowed down um, just a bit. And I think people are um, more captive. So I, I'll, I'll use that. You have a captive audience across all mediums right now. I think press has been really easy for a lot of people to get right now because journalists have been struggling with things to write about, right? There's just not as many stories out there. so. They're reaching out to to entrepreneurs and people at home and just looking for content. So I think when it's about customers, customers are looking for things to do, right? They're looking for people to solve problems. And that's what the the job of an entrepreneur is, is, is to identify problems and then solve them, right? So uh, I, I think quarantine and COVID has is, is created a numerous, uh, you know, problems, but ultimately you got an audience that now is is kind of chilling at home that you can actually talk to, build a relationship with. So, you know, from what I'm seeing is I, I use this time to really advance everything that I'm doing, right? So, you know, I deal in, in both public and private sector. And, you know, when I look at my nonprofit, my goal was to get a thousand entrepreneurs to start a business. Uh, well, when you got 50 million, you know, Americans that have lost jobs, you got a pretty big base to work with, you know, now, unfortunately, and, and sometimes struggle creates uh, great entrepreneurs, right, is, is, is the reality of it. So I spent a lot of time talking to folks that have been recently laid off, trying to walk them through the process of getting their business off the ground or, or working on that passion project more full time. Um, when it came down to fundraising, you know, fundraising has been relatively um, easy if you had some traction before, right? So if you could show growth through you know, a, a time period like this, you're going to rise to the top naturally. So that's been um, a really cool process to see. And then from a product development standpoint, you know, the the companies, you know, we launched uh, our hair care line Sunday to Sunday, right in, in the midst of this, right? We launched on May 31st um, on the Tulsa massacre, um, you know, anniversary. And that was because, again, we had all these eyeballs, right? Everyone was looking at you know, what is happening, so much destruction, you actually wanted to see these positive stories, right? These mm -hmm. things that are pushing good messages out. So we use that opportunity to launch our brand, you know, immediately in that time period. So, uh, yeah, man, you got a lot of captive audiences right now. So it's, it's been cool to, cool to go through this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and anybody could take this question. We'll even start with um, Pollyanna for this. Um, how significant is your personal brand to how you monetize, how you make your money? Like how much of it is in your mind frame when you go about your business? So as a celebrity ghostwriter during this time, I've actually seen like peak engagement, right? So I'm getting calls from, you know, I'm getting calls from white CEOs on what the fuck they need to do right now. And I'm getting calls from black Hollywood, from executives and talent who have white teams 
and their white team can't help them at this time, right? Yeah. And so whenever I get a phone call, a text, an email, whenever I get hired for crisis communications or to you know, help a CEO or a celebrity with business communications, um, you know, they always tell me like, I like what you've done for yourself and I want that for myself. Like they, they watch, I think it's really important mm -hmm. And that's why I really encourage people to like continue to 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 really hone in on your on your abilities and to continue to make excellence the bare minimum simply because you don't know who's watching and what power they hold. Right. The other day I got a phone call from um, one of the lead prosecutors of the Bill Cosby trial. Right. And she wants me to do a, some ghostwriting for her. Right. The other last week I'm on the phone with, you know, the co-president of Rock Nation. Right. And so people are watching mm -hmm. you in every facet. And so I think that your reputation is important. And, you know, when we think of tennis, we think of Serena Williams, we think of ball, we think of, you know, Kobe or LeBron. And so you want to really try to be uh, the top five in your market. You know, when people are discussing your your industry, are you in that conversation, right? I don't need to be physically present. You don't need to be present to be productive. And so like when people are having conversations about my industry, whether media or whether um, ghostwriting, you know, there's not a lot of young black female ghostwriters. So I stand out, right? And I'm always getting the call. So I'm very mindful of how I move in this space. I'm very mindful of how my team moves. And a lot of times it's because of what I built for my personal brand um, is why I'm getting the jobs. You know, very rarely do I need to show a resume or share testimonials or anything like that. They just watch how I move and they like how I move and that's it. Hmm. That aspect of the creative economy where you build a successful personal brand, you rarely have to show a resume. And your, your personal brand is, is now your resume, your reputation. Um, Kenya, let's talk about the aspect because we have a lot of vendors and creators here that have ideas. And you and your team had a Kenya Williams you and your team had an amazing idea for Resi. First, tell the people who you are. Talk about that space from turning it into idea execution to actually having somebody believe in you to invest in you. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, I look at the chat. I promise I didn't send the same set of messages three, four times. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's an issue with uh, I, I only said that chat once. No worries. Uh, but no I'm, uh, I'm Keenan Williams, guys, one of the co-founders of Resi. Uh, we started a real estate company um, in the apartment leasing space that enables anyone to rent an apartment in five minutes or less from their phone. Um, the, idea, the idea was simple, uh, to keep it honest with you. We sat down and we said, can you rent an apartment as fast as you order seamless or call it Uber? That was it. That was 2016 um, going into 2017. The idea before that was something we were just simply too early on. Um, it was tech that was going to just bring commercial real estate financing into the cloud so it can move fast to get a million dollar loan to buy a two, three unit brownstone in Brooklyn takes just as long back then to get a $15 million loan. And that didn't make sense. Um, that was 2014. Now companies in that business, there's like seven of them that are super successful. We were just way too early. But when we started Resi um, with this thesis of instantaneous leasing, uh, we ran into, again, being too early, but it was one of those goals that kind of fall into three three wavelengths. Uh, Andreessen Horowitz has a really good quote. There's three type ideas. There's good ideas that sound good. That makes sense. There's bad ideas that sound bad, which is self-explanatory. And then there's great ideas that just sound scary. And so when we came with that thesis of like, look, can you rent an apartment as fast as you order food or a car? It made sense, but it scared to shut out everybody. So the initial bet was one we had to take on ourselves. So there wasn't anyone that believed in us. We put that initial money up on our own. Um, so when Paulina dropped the whole sleeping in uh, airports line, like it kind of touched me because I remember sleeping in the co-working space. Like I remember a week on dollar slices. Uh, I remember being in the suit, jumping turnstiles, trying to catch the train uptown to get to a meeting. Um, I think, and, and, that's, and that's honest. And I'm sure there's plenty of people in this chat that remember me from 2015, 2014, 15, 16 days. And this is how, how we had to get it. Um, I think the real bet happened right before we went to Silicon Valley, the Y Combinator, when we raised a friends and family round, where we just went to high net worth that we either worked with or had a relationship with um, that gave us that first initial slug of, of seed capital, a um, little under a quarter of a million dollars. And that's what gave us, you know, literally the capital push to put together a little bit more tech to get that first customer. Um, when it was just us, we barely had enough money to figure out how to just design, implement, and build a V1. 
Um, so when that money ran out, we raised that friends and family round. That got us to a point where I was running the Trader Joe's and Chelsea on 23rd and 7th, buying the little cheese trays, bringing them to the co-working space, and like hand pouring wine glasses for all the people who once a week would show up to hear our pitch. Wow. Um, but when we got that slug, we got our first two paying customers. Uh, four bedroom all the way out on Nordstrand and Church and Flatbush, the first resi apartment ever that I hand cleaned myself, I slept in. Um, you know, we wow. were there, had people applying on a laptop thinking it was tech when really my CTO and co-founder was back in Manhattan doing the approval himself manually. Um, but that's what that's what we needed to do to get to Silicon Valley. And then when we got to the Valley, that's when people started really putting millions into the platform because then they took a bet on us. So long-winded story of how we got to a point where people said yes, because there were two years where everyone said no. All of 15 and 16 was a no. Wow. Yeah. Indeed. Um, Tati, happy for you to join us. Um, you're on mute, just so you know. Um, Hi, everyone. You are, <laughs> tell the people who you are, because your, your, your story is interesting. You're you're an entrepreneur. Um, you're, you have a corporate job. You also um, are a creative director, and you also have your own jewelry line as well, too, which you'll be selling um, a little bit later in the Marketplace Networking Forum. Um, talk about uh, the mindset you have and your 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 the idea you go about actually creating multiple streams of income and and how you were able to operate that having a corporate gig because some of us have jobs actually you know we five but then we have this idea we have this business we want this product we want to do but it's hard to find time it's hard to lock in talk about that experience and what you can what people can learn from how you did it okay hey everyone my name is tatiana Ilya. as trav mentioned designer, creative curator. I do a lot of creative direction work, some on-set assisting with like styling, accessorizing. Um, I'm just an all-around creative. That's always been my passion. But me, in terms of my upbringing, I'm Haitian American. So I'm first generation. Um, I have an old school Haitian mom. And pretty much when I told her that I was into the art, she was like, that's not a sustainable thing for you to do. You need to go to college. You need to get a full-time job. And um, I actually found out about an opportunity to intern with the IRS. And I was coming out of high school. And so I applied for it just to see you know, if I would get it or not. My mom was like, you know, just apply and see what happens. I ended up getting the internship. And so I went to school. I went to SUNY Westbury College. And so I did that and I interned at the IRS for three and a half years. And then once I finished with college, then the IRS, they offered me a full-time position. And so with that full-time position, I was able to go into the city, work for the IRS and gain some sustainable income, have health insurance, all these different things. And that was great, but I still always love to create. And so for me, I kind of had to create a balance between my corporate life and then my creative life. And so for me, for the past, I want to say like at least like nine, 10 years, it's been a juggling act for me um, because of my personal personal situation in terms of like my family dynamic and certain responsibilities at home. I couldn't just do my jewelry and accessory line full time. I just needed additional income. I needed more stable income to handle my responsibilities. And so I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to do the IRS job from nine to five. And then I'm going to do my jewelry, my accessories, my creative direction, everything else all the other time that I have in the day. And so um, it does take a lot of dedication and resilience and persistence. And I would say that's something to just keep in mind for anyone that has a dream or a goal and they're going through life circumstances and you don't know where life is taking you or you might have some doubts, but remembering that power and that strength and that resilience within you is gonna help you keep going no matter what. And so for me, even when things didn't seem perfect within my business, I said, as long as I'm gonna continue to create, continue to promote, continue to take advantage of whatever opportunities come my way, I'm gonna figure out a way to make this work. And so luckily with writing that out, the IRS began to do a lot of transitions and they started to do more teleworking. So I was able to start working from home instead of going into the city every day. And that allowed my schedule to be more flexible. So then that way I'm able to do what I gotta do at home, not have to worry about the commuting time, so I'll do my IRS work and then I'll just do things for my line and do things for the different projects that I work with. I also do a lot of work with Driven Society. So we'll work on events and different showcase events, pop-up shop events. And I would just try to get better at time management 
so that I'm able to balance everything. So in a nutshell, that's pretty much my story. Um, and if anyone else has questions or anything like that, we can also talk about it more um, at the breakout session. Don't. Very far. Um, yeah, let's jump in real quick. <clears throat> Pico, jump in real quick for us. Yeah, I think that uh, Tatiana had a really great point. You know, you know, I think that lack of time is not the issue. I think most people mismanage it. I was a side hustler for 10 years. I built a six-figure company from my cubicle, and then I decided to transition. And two things that were really important to me before I made that transition was, number one, paying down my debt as much as possible. And number two, making sure I had a proven track record, at least one year of consistent sales, right? Um, I, want also, I want, also want people to look at your corporate job as if you're going to business school every single day. There are so many lessons that you need to know in that phase of your life. Every time you say, I can't, every time you say, I won't, I don't want to, you're telling God that you're not ready to be elevated to the next level, right? So like you can't ask for more when you have it mastered less. Um, and uh, I just want it, I want people to really understand that like entrepreneurship is also not for everyone. It's hard as fuck. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's also like, if you want to be a side hustler and you're just, you want to make more income, like that is okay too. Like you don't have to make the jump if you don't, if you're not ready to. Um, and the last thing I'll say is like, you know, your job may determine your salary, but you are in total control of your total income. And like the number that they put on your corporate contract, your offer letter, that's what the company can afford. It doesn't amount to your true value. So please keep that in mind. Trav, you mind if I piggyback on that? Yes, sir. So Pauline is absolutely fundamentally correct. It, it, there's way too much of a discrepancy where people are valuing themselves, their net worth on a paycheck total. Um, it has like, it, candidly, to really pull, piggyback on Paulina, that check should be what you cover expenses with and then save after that. Like all the money to reinvest into your business, your side hustle, that should come from additional free cash flow or whatever passive cash flow you create. Um, I think my sort of view of uh, the answer to that question is the leisure time. So I 100% agree with Paulina. Everybody needs to recognize that a side hustle is additive. It's not subtractive. So having a side hustle doesn't take away or shouldn't take away from anything that's currently earning you a stable income in your life. The thing that drops is this window of leisure time when it's you watching that game or you going to do like a five on five run for three hours on a Sunday or shoot 18 holes with the homies on the golf course. Like what we really tend to do is forget that cutting out the leisure time is the core gap that we can fill with the side hustle because that means you're then only operating with a tandem mindset. What has to happen in terms of basic responsibilities that's guaranteed and I need to keep that the stability and then all free time outside of that is being put into the free cash flow or passive side hustle. Um, when you start to have that mentality of just literally cutting out leisure, then candidly you'll start to build up whatever that side hustle is. I think the hardest part about quarantine wasn't just the whole notion of like, it's a new rhythm you gotta adjust to, or it's a new normal you gotta adjust to. It really it's people having to understand how to develop self-discipline as adults, right? The self-discipline to not binge on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime, the adult self-discipline to get up at the same time, even though the next Zoom meeting ain't till 10, doesn't mean you should get up at 9.45, um, right? When you were going to work for someone else for a paycheck, you were getting up at five, six. When you're going to work to work for someone else for a paycheck, you were hitting the gym on a regular basis. You had all this stability aligned to someone else who could cut you in a second and give you a couple weeks severance, right? Which is why a majority of creatives right now are earning more on unemployment than they were when they were consistently making uh, or chasing the bag. I think now is that pause time to really align yourself to. If I were to operate in a sense of true self-discipline and I cut out leisure, that marriage gets me to what? probably a good four or five, six hours a day that you can fill in. hundred percent. Very good point. Very good point. Um, I want to transition, switch gears. Um, it seems that uh, all our participants are fairly seasoned in their respective fields. Um, can we talk a little bit about building credibility with your respective audiences or clientele and what and to piggyback on that question, what is your pivot strat? How do they, um, how do you incorporate that uh, legacy book of business into your pivot strategy post COVID? Um, you know, Keenan Beasley. I'm going to pick Keenan Beasley because. <laughs> um, 
So is this a question about pivoting the strategy for the, the side hustle or the overall? Overall, so, you know, just uh, just to reiterate, uh, I want you guys to talk about, you know, building credibility within your brand um, and your business with, with your audience and uh, how you plan on um, using that core that you have in your pivot strategy post-COVID. Got it. Um, candidly, is authenticity. I guess if I could use like a real buzzword, um, authenticity in our storytelling has gone from how we service one side of the market to how we service both sides of the market. So for us, we're a marketplace. So the only way we service is putting out a asset that comes from a landlord and gets rented by a tenant. Um, and so we're now focused on making both sides of that marketplace as even in terms of services and convenience as possible. Um, candidly, when you build a two-sided marketplace, you have to pick what side you want to double down on first. So it's the it's sort of the same congruent circle where if I'm Uber, I need more drivers to be available for more riders. But the only way to get more riders is if riders have good uh, uh, rides and refer more friends. The more friends they have, have more needs. And so it's like this growing circle of uh, of a marketplace for us, COVID made us double down on both sides ASAP, right? We really couldn't creep and take our time. We really had to like speed up and say, cool, we have to be a total service provider today. Um, and today looks like 60 days or 90 days. Um, so COVID for us turned into a lot of sprints, a lot of running fast, a lot of quick decision-making and being really data oriented. Um, COVID also took away the power of just always making decisions from the gut and you really had to be tactical. Um, right. So like COVID made us say, what's the new methodology? What's the real North star? Right. Um, at a, at a micro level and at a macro level, what is our new religion? It's a total marketplace. Are we being seen by both sides the same way? So for us being authentic in that switch and in that double down to make everybody on our platform, um, feel equally served is how we kind of had to approach the market. So content went out for landlords, content went out for mitigating costs and risk content went out for how to save, um, you know, backing up storylines with other professionals from the space, legal, et cetera. Um, so we really had to double down on marketing to both sides versus one. Um, and candidly, we had to do it in a super authentic way because COVID really exposed everybody who was just a storyteller and it was inauthentic, right? COVID really made it clear, like, what is a true value prop and how much is it really worth to me? 100%. Um, I want to talk about also um, what is, and I'll start off with Keenan Beasley. What are your principles with building a successful team, right? You have the idea, you have the product. Now it's time to build a team. What are you looking for? How do you find the right members to, to take your idea to the next level? Um, for me, it's really simple. It's curiosity and, uh, and passion is really what I look for. I think a lot of the like, actual hard skills when you're in an entrepreneurial environment, no one really comes in them, you know, into a startup with that, you're, you're going to develop it over time. Um, because, you know, when you come out of corporate, it's really, there's already a template in place. So I call corporate people like edit and amplify. Um, when you're in an entrepreneurial space, you really have to build. So the people who build really well are, are passionate and extremely curious meaning they're going to go and try to figure something out and work hard. So I'm usually evaluating for those things. And then um, I try to bring in the other resources to teach some of the more functional skills um, to fill in some of the like capability gaps that they may have. And um, to you, Pollyanna? Building teams. Building teams. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I hired early on when I was in, from when I was in my corporate job, right? I'd use my paychecks to, you know, to keep the business running. And sometimes I'd walk away with next to nothing. Um, so I hired early, I hired fast, I hired smart. Um, and, you know, my, I don't have high turnover. My team, my company culture is, is fantastic. And we've been really tested during COVID and during the civil unrest. I, I made a, a, a very strong decision not to lay off anybody. You know, they've been with me since it would, since I had no money. And so I was, I really wanted to stand by that. And so, you know, we, we rock together. We're up until 3 a.m. every day, right? Trying to, you know, do all this crisis communications bullshit, and, you know, and, and I'm really proud of them. And I think that one thing that has 
has kept, kept everyone on my team is making sure that number one, they understand the vision, but number two, I'm very interested in how their work with me fits into the larger vision for their life, right? Like I know that I've done my job, like leaders create other leaders. And I know that I've done my job mm -hmm. if they do choose to move on, right? And like, and if they do choose to move on and they move on to better things, like, you know, the chapter with me, I hope that it's fruitful and that they learn something that they can transfer to the next phase of their life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I found too, especially in this, you know, ex experience us being in a live events marketing space, I realized that the most key thing for us Drew society has been the relationships we made prior to COVID. Like I'm so blessed and happy about the type of relationships we've been able to make because now it's all about re presenting ourselves in a different way, presenting our services in a different way. And I'm able to see light at the end of that tunnel. Um, and Building long-lasting relationships in this space is so key. What are some strategies you guys have used throughout your careers, entrepreneurial journeys? And anybody could answer this question. Um, um, strategies you guys have used to build really strong key relationships. For me, at least, um, and a lot of my peers, it's just trying to find a way to connect with the person, making sure that you're remaining authentic to yourself and the person that you're in conversation with and the relationship that you're building with them. So sometimes what I've noticed from a lot of industry events or interactions where people are looking at like, what can I get out of this? What can I, what can you do for me? And it's not always about what the person can do for you. It's what we can do for each other. How can we make it a win-win so that everybody benefits in the situation? And then also like really getting to know the person because there could, from you getting to know that person, there could be room for other opportunities to grow and build and learn. So I would definitely say those are some main things that I found beneficial because then it, it doesn't have to seem so much only like a business transaction. It's like I can actually build a beautiful relationship with this person. Like for example, me and Trav, we met from doing Driven Society events years ago. But for me getting to know who he is, the team members, we've been able to find so many different ways to build up the community. Same thing with Franz and Natalia and many of our other our other friends that we collaborate on things on. So that's definitely a thing. And then also when you find those people, do right by them and hold them close because it's also very rare to actually sustain these authentic relationships in this industry because sometimes it can be very cutthroat. I'll piggyback on that. So like, I'm glad we're talking about this because at the end of the day, like in order to earn a contract, you need a contact, right? And so one of my strengths is that I'm ridiculously good at getting meetings with very important people. And a few methods that have helped me tremendously is reducing stress and adding value to their lives. And uh, the reason why is like, I feel like if you want to open someone's wallet, if you want to change their minds, you have to change their reality, right? And sometimes value doesn't always look like a deliverable. Sometimes value looks like sending a, a text just to say, what's up? That goes a long way, right? And the space that I work in, that's very rare. Someone always wants shit from you. And so, um, the other thing I'll say is, you know, I know, you know, obviously social media is meant to be social. That's why a lot of people connect. But I think that there's something that cannot be compared to, you know, creating an environment where you have a collision of ideas amongst people in person. Right. And exchanging that energy. So, like, I mean, I'm, a, I'm quick to jump on a flight, you know, what I mean, for a coffee date or a dinner and really connecting with people and fostering chemistry in person. And the last thing I'll say is just around, um, you know, if you want referrals, then make a few referrals. Right. Be the connector, be the resource. Right. Be someone that people genuinely want to fuck with. Um, I think generosity is the best business strategy. Amazing, amazing um, you guys. So if you have. Any questions for the panel, let us know. We're gonna be wrapping up this portion. Um, and last but not least, we ask all our panelists this. This is gonna be a live podcast, so we wanna ask everybody pretty much what drives you, what keeps you going through the dark times to the tough times, what just keeps that, you know, that, that spirit on fire to keep impacting culture, impacting your community. I'll start with you, Keenan Williams. Yeah, uh, I got three. Patience. Empathy and gratitude. Um, at the end of the day, I kind of do this this micro macro. And the macro, I'm gonna live till I'm 100, so I got plenty of time to do everything. And the micro, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. So effectively, my patience is like this real simple balance where 
I don't ever over index on something unless it's a clear decision of mine to double down agnostic to if I win or lose. Like I'm patient enough to make a wrong decision, to make a right decision, to make a short one, to make a long one. Like, I guess I really am just agnostic to outcomes. So I'm super patient. Empathy to Paulina's point, everything has to do or go through a relationship. So candidly, I think the best thing pre-college, post-college is relationships. The, the largest cash value I have is not stock in my company. It's not stock in my portfolio, it's social equity. Um, I think there's nothing more valuable than social equity, uh, which is why I had to type up those Paulina bars because I mean, it's, it's, it's just true. Being a contract, you have to have a contact. Um, and I think being of service is showing love. Last night, a friend of mine, he and I had, you know, a random hour and a half chat. He's starting a business. He's doubling down um, with a few others. And it's not as clean as he'd like it to be. My first intuition is, all right, how can I be a service provider as a, to a homie, right? Like, how can I start to work for you such that this project works out to be as big as you want? Because there's a bigger play involved. Um, so patience, empathy, and the last one is just gratitude. I think, candidly, I don't ever look at us with our skin color of su having success as an anomaly. I actually have an expectancy for it. To me, this is a standard. We should all be operating at higher and higher levels. So when I see everybody winning, I'm just super fucking happy. Like, I just, I can't even tell you how many places I pull gratitude from. Waking up, something simple. Family, still alive, something simple. My son, healthy during COVID, something simple. Um, every time I'm traveling on a plane, no issue, something simple, as well as my entire circle is winning. Everyone's growing. So-and-so is getting married. So-and-so had a kid. I, I just pull gratitude from everywhere. Like there, there, there's too much upside to be down on a consistent basis. Those are my three patience, gratitude, and empathy. Thank you. Thank you. Pollyanna. Yeah. Um, so I was actually diagnosed with depression and anxiety in 2010. And so have a long history, um, you know, with this, uh, with my mental health. And so for me, my priority, first of all, the only way I know how to climb out of any hole that I'm in is gradually, right? And what has been really, really helpful for me is developing mental toughness through physical fitness, right? You know, during my adolescent and my teen years, I was a high performance athlete and physical activity is also very, very important to me right now. And I think most people where their frustration comes from when they can't hit that goal or they can't um, uh, overcome that challenge is because they're, they're pursuing, they're pursuing a, a goal that they're not mentally conditioned for. Right. And so through physical fitness, honestly, like when I am able to do an endurance sport or just kick it with my trainer, like that really helps me um, build my mental acuity, my mental capacity. And so, you know, for those of you who are in the chat, who are watching, you know, maybe physical fitness is not your thing, then find your medium, right? Find your outlet in order to, to build your mental toughness. Because I mean, shit, like when things really hit the fan, like you're going to be so tested and it's really the conversations that you have with yourself that determine whether you win or lose at this game. Absolutely. This is real. Like how many, how many of us can say we could look in a mirror, say we're beautiful, we love ourselves and we're happy with ourselves and we're proud of ourselves without crying. And how many of us like avoid those tough conversations? You're 100 right. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's hard. Uh, we'll go with Keenan, and we'll finish with Tati. Yeah, I, I guess to answer it uh, directly, for me, it's it's always having a clear purpose, um, something that that I align myself with that is bigger than me as an individual. So, you know, I think we're all. Uh, place here on earth to obviously leave the, the, the world a better place. So I, I try to keep that um, in mind every day. But I think other than that, it is, you know, for me, I'm a, I'm a process guy. So I'm a West Point football player. Like, so for it, it really doesn't take a lot. Like I just, I start to enjoy the work of the process. So as an entrepreneur, it's really easy because every day is like hard, different and difficult. You know what I mean? So uh, it keeps yep. me uh, really energized, honestly, on a on a daily basis. So um, I love the good times as much as I love the bad. Um, and then, you know, I, I'd say competition. Um, you know, I think some people will say that, you know, you're only competing against yourself. I don't know. I'm more like 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 MJ and, and Tom Brady. I will I will create a competitor in my head and somebody that I just want to fucking beat today and tomorrow and the next day. And 
and I'm going to do it like unapologetically. Um, so those are the things that kind of keep me really rocking each day. Dope, dope. So for me, I would say it's purpose, gratitude, and perseverance. I know a few people mentioned some similar things. Um, so in terms of gratitude and purpose, I believe they go hand in hand. So for me, I've also dealt with like depression and I've dealt with a lot of just life. When life happens, family stuff, personal stuff, work stuff, you just start to go through it. And what I've learned is I had to start grounding myself. And that's why I even started to incorporate gemstones and healing essentials and sage and stuff into my jewelry and accessory line. So then that way, as I learned to ground myself and heal myself through these things and through different practices, I'm also able to share that with people. And so for me, when I'm starting my day, I wake up, I practice gratitude, I do my morning meditation, I thank God, I thank the universe for allowing me to be here on this earth another day just to ground myself in just being and existing. And then I tap into my purpose. So it's like, okay, like I have my full-time job, I have my jewelry accessory company, I have other projects that I'm doing, and these things are requiring something from me. And so I need to ground myself in my purpose and also gratitude because the creator gave me all these gifts and I've been able to be blessed with so many resources and so many people that are in my life and we're able to make amazing things happen. And so I don't want to take that for granted. And so every day I still have to deliver. And so I have to walk in my purpose and continue to unpeel back the layers of what that looks like, because we're always learning. We're always growing. We're always evolving as human beings. And so it's a day to day process. And so I just ground myself in that and then perseverance because when the going gets tough, which it will time and time again, over and over again, it's like, you have to keep persevering. You have to keep pushing through. If this is what you want, whatever it is, if it's a big goal, if it's a small goal, if it's a business that you're building out, you have to keep going and keep chipping at it every single day. And so I just ingrained these things in myself. So when I wake up in the morning, it's like, okay, I may be in a great mood, or I might be in my feelings and I'm not really feeling it today. <laughs> and so I still have to reground myself and bring myself back to center and say, okay, you know, this is how you're feeling, but this can also change. Energy is constantly shifting. And so what do we need to do to shift your energy so that you can produce and deliver that you need to for the day? And then tomorrow's a new day and then you continue and you try at it again. And so these are just some of the things that have helped me to keep me going. Um, Talia Bethany asks, when it comes to lifting others in your respective industries, do you practice mentorship or were you personally mentored by anyone? Now I'm going to throw that question to uh, Keenan Beasley. Um, so I believe heavily in mentorship, um, especially early on, but it was actually very different. So I use mentorship to uh, do mostly do work for other people. So I, I spent my earlier part of my career just finding ways to be valuable. Um, and, and honestly, what I was looking for from really successful people was where are the areas that they need help? Um, and, and I've always tried to kind of squarely position myself there. So I've, I've actually never asked a mentor for anything, um, even to this date. So I guess maybe it's a little weird that I call them mentors because it's really just people I look up to. Um, but it's, it's been one way, but the other way. Um, now I find myself mentoring a lot of, of the youth. Um, so obviously through either my nonprofit or you know through a lot of the teaching that I do at different universities for free. Um, and again, though, that is actually selfish, right? People think I'm doing it just to like inspire them. I'm actually gaining energy from these kids and, and, and really seeing the creativity and the passion and reminding myself of like, this time where I was so fearless. Um, and and again, it's something that I'm, I'm like taking and learning from them. So I, I think that one's crazy where like I, the people I'm mentoring are more mentoring me than my mentors are mentoring me. So it's kind of flipped in a way, but uh, yeah, I'm a big believer in that. Cool. Would anybody else like to chime in on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mentorship is important, but I also think that mentorship is not just uh, uh, vertical, it's also horizontal. Like, you should be able to look to your left and your right to your peer groups, right? You know, because, you know, Brad, Chad, John, you know, they're talking about how to create massive wealth 
You know what I mean? Like, and I find that amongst our community, we're often not having those honest conversations with ourselves. So uh, mentors have been everything for me. I dropped out of college 2008 and I knew that I had to stand on the shoulders of giants if I was going to get to the next step in my career. Um, I have six mentors in my life, different areas of my life. Two of my mentors have been mentoring me for 11 years. The rest have been in my life anywhere from three to five years. Um, I see a lot of value, um, but I think more importantly for women, we need sponsors, not just mentors. Mentors guide your steps and that's cute, but sponsors are really going to advocate for you when you are not in the room. Sponsors are really going to pick up the phone. They're going to, you know, they're going to send that text or that email. And they're really, I mean, that's how I've been able to leapfrog steps in my career is because people sponsor sponsored me and my name was in rooms where I wasn't physically present. Dope. Awesome. Seems like we have um, exhausted our time for this round of the Driven Society podcast, but we want to thank each and every one of our panelists for um, speaking today and sharing such relevant information and such great energy. Man, that was a really great conversation. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Um, again, like, like I was saying, Please visit us on Driven Society uh, on Instagram and Twitter. And you know what? I believe Aquaius actually had a, a few other things to add too that, that he found insightful. Yeah, definitely. As I was listening to the panelists, uh, one of the main takeaways that stuck in my mind was something that Pauliana mentioned. She mentioned, we can't ask for more when we haven't mastered less. Right. Mm. I think a lot of times we look to skip steps and this goes back to the importance for me of being present. We hear it all the time, but what does that actually look like? And I feel that looks like analyzing what's right in front of us, analyzing the landscape that we have at our disposal and really mastering that landscape, whatever that is, whatever craft or vocation or profession we're in, let's look to master it. So then we can move move towards gaining and earning more, not just looking for more, but really gaining and earning more. So that's something that stood out for me. Yep. And yeah, we just want to um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for all the, the amazing vendors that were part of the marketplace. Um, please be sure to follow us on Driven Society. Hit us up on our website if you want to be a, uh, part of the reserve. If you want to stay tuned with our next virtual events, we'll be here. And, you know, we're excited to continue to create great content and virtual events for you guys to be inspired, informed, and educated. All right. So like we say at this time, stay driven. Stay driven, y'all. Peace, y'all.